Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Every Sunday on this show, you'll hear from the biggest named chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and experts who are passionate about everything delicious. Plus, we'll dish on health and wellness, wine and cocktails, tech trends, and more. So I do hope that you'll tune in. You can always find podcasts of shows you might have missed on iTunes, FeedBurner, and Blueberry under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. And you can follow my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And then, of course, I'm always serving up seconds with recipes galore at ChefJamie.com. So let's get to the culinary conversation, shall we? Sarah wrote me an email this past week. And by the way, you can too. Jamie at ChefJamie.com, J-A-M-I-E, gets you to me with a, a kitchen question. And as we enter into fall, she mentioned how much she loves the season. Well, Sarah, I too love this time of year. When summer turns to cooler weather, I definitely begin to crave chili again, don't you? And heartier fare and comfort food in so many ways. And Sarah's reason for her email is because she and I share a love for cast iron skillets. So she asked for tips to season a vintage cast iron pan, and I thought it was very timely because fall is when I think to use my cast iron skillet again, since I'm coming in from the barbecue outside, right? The best cast iron skillets are a thing of tradition, passed down generation to generation with memories of your mom's or your grandma's fried chicken or pineapple upside down cake that seasoned the pan that you inherited to perfection. They are to be treasured much more than the basic skillet, right? And with a little bit of care, you can keep them for decades to come. This is a tutorial on cast iron. So if you have a special pan or you want a refresher on the many wonderful recipes that are made even better by using cast iron, well, then you came to the right place today. Cast iron, by the way, has a wealth of benefits, naturally, that make it a very superior choice for a number of kitchen jobs. Now, among its top qualities, it spreads and retains heat very well. I I would like to venture to say really the best of any pan. Because cast iron is thick and dense, it gets really hot and it stays really hot. And that means that you don't get hot spots and you tend to resist burning that way. Now, cast iron is also unparalleled for searing. It's because the cast iron stores more thermal energy than the thinner material pans that you might have or use. We all have them. If you want to get a nice dark sear on a steak or a beautiful piece of salmon, you use cast iron. Now, it's also naturally non-stick. Once the cast iron has been properly seasoned, and more on that in a moment, it has a smooth surface that prevents food from sticking. 
And then, of course, it's totally versatile. It can go from the stovetop to the oven, allows you to sear, then follow up with a long cooking process, even a quick trip under the broiler. You can braisin it, you can fry in it, you can make a single egg or an entire cake. And then, of course, it enriches your food with iron. Did you know that? Food prepared in a cast iron skillet does actually pick up microscopic particles of iron while cooking. And the health professionals say that it is a safe and natural way to help raise your iron level. Pretty cool, right? I know you're taking your radio, your iPhone, you're driving home at the moment and you're grabbing that cast iron skillet and I'm going to arm you to use it. So if you buy a new cast iron pan, it comes pre-seasoned, but caring for that historical pan that you treasure like Sarah is doing, um, it takes just a little bit of effort. Some cooks and cast iron diehards, you should know, never Like they don't dare let their pans near water so that they don't have to resist rust. But if you have a pan that needs a little love, here are my best tips to restore that rusted gem. So traditional cast iron skillets need seasoning, the old school kind, to keep them healthy and usable for years to come. If you find some rust on a pan you have, or maybe one's being passed down to you, or you're buying one uh, on eBay or otherwise, now's the time to start, as far as I'm concerned, uh, creating a heritage pan, as I call it. I recommend that you season the pan right away. So... Seasoning is the act of coating the skillet with cooking oil and baking it essentially in a 350 degree oven for an hour. Now you can use any kind of oil, but I prefer one that is not expensive and neutral in flavor and color. No need to pull out the extra virgin olive oil here. If you have a bottle of canola oil or vegetable, even peanut oil works well too. At 350 degrees, you'll coat it using a paper towel, just a thin coating all over, by the way, top, bottom, handle, inside, sides, edges, and more. And then I like to place a baking sheet on the rack beneath the cast iron skillet in case there is a drip or two. And again, 350 degrees for an hour. Then I like to let it cool in the oven. As the oven cools down, the pan cools down. And it takes some time, but it's worth the wait. Once it's completely cool, you dry it with paper towels and it will be ready to use. And you will reinforce that nonstick coating every time you heat some oil in the skillet. Now, for best results, if you were a die-hard cast iron skillet cook, you would never wash it. You would wipe it clean. But for most of us thinking hygiene, um, I do rinse my pans with hot water immediately after cooking. If you need to remove something that um, has, you know, burnt on or there are scraps of food left, you can use a mild abrasive. Like I use coarse salt or kosher salt, and you want to use a non-metal brush to preserve that non-stick surface. Uh, Once in a while, if it's really oily, I'll use a few drops of dishwashing soap, but seldom. And if the pan gets a little sticky, that tends to develop over time, um, you can scrub it a little bit 
harder or even use steel wool and then you'll re-season it. And then the secret of great cast iron pans that last a lifetime is that you want to dry it thoroughly, like as dry as you can get it, an extra, uh, you know, batch of paper towels before you put it away. And then uh, you cover the inside of the pan with a paper towel when you store it to protect it from dust and if you're stacking it as well. Now, here are a couple more chef's tips. If you're buying a new cast iron skillet, uh, you don't need to season it once again and nothing is more versatile than a 12-inch cast iron skillet. Uh, There is only one thing you shouldn't attempt in cast iron cookware, and that is boiling water, which will definitely cause the pan to rust. You should know that cast iron takes longer to heat up than other surfaces, but it does retain the heat remarkably well. And as I said, it diffuses it really evenly. And then um, cast iron remains hot a really long time after you remove it from the stove. So as a reminder to be cautious, I like to drape a kitchen towel or a mitt over the handle. And then lastly, what to cook in your cast iron, you ask? Ooh, well, how about, oh, a really great cornbread or roasted Brussels sprouts for serious caramelization. Maybe a corn casserole with those crispy edges that only a cast iron pan can give you. Ooh, a butter-basted steak for dinner tonight with that amazing crust or brilliant pork chops this week. Those are best made in a cast iron pan too. And then there's baked pasta and pan pizza and oh, apple cobbler as the the weather turns cooler. Can't even get the words out. I'm making myself hungry. Cast iron definitely delivers beloved flavors of classic home cooking. And so I'd love to know what you're making. So I hope you'll meet me on social media. Tell me your best cast iron dish. I'm at Chef Jamie Gwen. And you can email me your cooking questions as well. Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. And do not touch your dial because Jacques Pepin is coming up next. Also, later in the hour, we'll bake with Food Network's Erin Gardner, and we're talking women's wellness with Sarah Hanna Silverstein before the close of the show. Don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Oh, you can hear the excitement in my voice, right? When I say that we have the greatest culinary thinkers on this show, I mean it. This gentleman is no doubt a testament to that. It is with great pleasure that I have the privilege of welcoming back one of the world's most famous cooking teachers and educators. In his more than 60-plus years as a chef, Jacques Pepin has earned a reputation as a champion of simplicity. As the author of 30 cookbooks and 14 PBS cooking series, he taught us to roast the perfect chicken, he taught me to make a proper omelet, and I think we would all agree that this gentleman's contribution to the culinary world is a gift that keeps on giving. At 81 years young, Jacques Pepin shows no signs of slowing down. His new cookbook is a love letter to his granddaughter entitled A Grandfather's Lessons, and it's made up of dishes that Shori, who is 13, absolutely loves. The recipes are simple and elegant, and the stories strewn throughout will warm your soul. 
and Jacques Pepin joins us live to share his extraordinary love for food. Uh, chef, I'm so glad to have you back. Bonjour. Oh, my God. It's too, too much. <laughs> no, it's not too much, well, thank Jacques. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yes, you. of course. Thank you very much. Okay, so once again, you've outdone yourself. The new cookbook, I Can Feel Your Heart, and I love all the pictures of Shori making flan and learning ro- you know, fondant roses. Congratulations. It's really wonderful. Thank you. Yes, I, I mean, with fun, you know, she, she was on my show. Uh, the last theory, Heart and Soul, was about four, three, four years ago. Yes. And then the <clears throat> the one before, Essential Paper, she started there with me. So for me, like seven, eight years ago, is uh, you know, I'm turning 82, so it's not that much. But for her, 13, she looked at herself in those first shows. It was yeah. half of her life. She was she was like six, seven. So she said, "Oh, I'm, I was really cute." And at that point, of course, I could put some chocolate on her nose, do and push her. But now, <laughs> it's a young woman, and uh, I can't do that anymore. So it changed, you know. It, she still loves chocolate, right? Oh yes, oh yes, she loves. <laughs> All the sweet, I mean, like most of the kids anyway, so. Yes, of course. I love that dinner has always been very important in your home, Chef. I think it's a lesson we need to be reminded of often because it has very much uh, built her appreciation and grown her appreciation for food, has it not? Absolutely. You have, you have to realize that, especially now, I mean, uh, I don't know, there was not that much difference maybe between me and my father or grandfather because uh, time were different. Uh, you know, there was no, no barely electricity. We had no telephone and there was no computer. There was no jet age. But between me and my granddaughter, the difference, you know, is enormous. So it's very hard to have a conversation in many ways on the, on the level of a, of a child who is 13 years old. Then that's when cooking comes in, you know, cooking together and especially eating together. Mm. It's really the glue which uh, holds the, the family together for me. And also, uh, you know, the, the, the reason, not the reason, but I mean the way I can communicate with her and uh, she can enjoy communicating with me. We talk uh, a language that she understands and the language that I understand, uh, which is not... That easy to do with little kid, you know. So, yes, cooking is very important, and especially maybe eating together is more important yes. than talking. Oh, I agree. I love that the book highlights your best recipes, but it also shares table settings and table manners, which our children should know. And Shori sets the table, and she knows to clear from the left, I understand. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Now, I told the... the that it's it's not important that that important, but it is important to a certain extent to present a nice table, to know how to fold a napkin, yes. to know how to serve <laughs> a beverage, you know, on 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 the on the right and serve the food on the left and deserve the other way. Small thing like this, you know. I think uh, it uh, yeah, it, it is part of. A, I mean, we don't do a table setting like that every day when we eat, but still. Uh, most of the time, and certainly every day we sit together and eat. I mean, I still do it every day with my wife after 51 years of marriage. Oh, so. Congratulations, 51 fabulous years. Uh, will you cook for us, 
Chef, please. I, I hoped we could celebrate quatre heures. I know that Shori knows that's tea time, and she loves cucumber dill sandwiches. Uh-huh. She does. So let's, let's talk about uh, tea time. You make uh, real Melba toast, and I love that you mentioned you buy uh, thin white bread, and she's learned to, uh, to use mayonnaise in place of uh, traditional butter to, to finish the bread, thin slices of cucumber. She's agile with a peeler, right? Teach us how. Oh, yes, yes. No, <laughs> she's good. Yeah, not only that, but you can see at the, the, when you open the book, the hand paper on each side, we have the menu. She draw one menu and I draw the other, the other menu. And uh, again, it's one thing that I wanted to bring to people, the fact that when we cook at home, then uh, not every day, but when we have people coming for dinner, special occasion, birthday, Christmas, uh, Easter, Thanksgiving, whatever, uh, we uh, we write the menu and everyone uh, put his note next to it. And, and, you know, I can look back. I have 12 large books at home, and I can see what Claudine, my daughter, uh, asked for her fourth or fifth birthday, and mm-hmm. she's turning 50, so, you know, and I can see my mother there, I can see my two brothers, I can see, you know, a lot of, uh, it's a whole life in a sense, yes. you know, for us, which mm-hmm. are in those menu books, mm-hmm. so, uh, so they are very important, and then she, uh, she knows how to do that too, so we show the people are to draw a menu and do that type of thing. Yeah. Yes, I think it's wonderful. The quotes throughout the book from Shori um, are very impressive. Uh, I, I assume you asked her the best restaurant she had ever eaten at. And she, she certainly has fine taste being Jacques Pepin's granddaughter. She quoted Paul Bocuse in Lyon. Yes. 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 And she clearly remembers. Yeah, because we were on a cruise. Like, uh, you know, I am... Um, culinary director of our cruise line. Yes, of course. does too. Oceana. Now, so uh, we were on a cruise uh, like four years ago, something like that. And we were in Lyon. See, the last time I saw my mother, really, and we uh, mm. we uh, we went to Bocuse. So uh, hmm. it was a special dinner and she remembered it. Yes. It was great. Yeah. Oh, I think it's wonderful. She re- remembers what she ate and the dish that she loved and the experience. And those memories are are just invaluable. Uh, tell us about the video collection in conjunction with the new book release from Jacques Pepin, of course, A Grandfather's Lessons. There are uh, videos online. Yes, actually, uh, this is an exclusive of uh, Sur la Table. Well, because they pay to start with to do those videos. And we did the video in my back kitchen here and we did 30, I think 36 of it from folding a napkin properly to uh, mm. To, uh, for example, uh, uh, all the fish, Arctic char with tomato and so forth. So you can see in the book, at the end of the recipe, it says to see how it's done, go to uh, com, etc. So, uh, yes, we have those videos of about 10, 12, sometimes 15 minutes, and we have 30, I think 35 or 36 of those. Fabulous. So people can uh, can look at it there, yes. Yes, and, and watch with their children and their grandchildren and inspire the next generations as you have to cook. I can't wait to make cottage cheese pancakes with blueberries. Oh, good, good. Yes. And, and you, you, try, you have to try the curly dog, too, with pickle relish. That's, you know, we did some of the recipe funny like this. This <laughs> is a way that I used to cut 
hot dog when I was at Howard Johnson in the test kitchen going <laughs> around. So I did a curly dog for her and with a special release and so forth. Even Jacques Pepin makes hot dogs. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I love hot dogs. <laughs> I know you do. Congratulations. Another brilliant cookbook and one from the heart. The 30th, in fact, from the legendary chef and celebrated artist that is Jacques Pepin, just released, entitled A Grandfather's Lessons. It is a collection of recipes he makes with his granddaughter. And the most important reminder that the best meals are the ones shared at home with family. The book is available everywhere. You can find Jacques Pepin's new housewares line at Sir Latab stores and sirlatab.com. And Jacques, I thank you for gracing this show and sharing your passion. I am a forever thank fan. You. Yes, merci. Thank you. Merci. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. The great Jacques Pepin. And yes, you heard him here. Stay tuned. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. and savory sides of life every Sunday in your radio. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here. Do you want to perfect your cake-making skills? Well, you're about to learn a time-saving secret from the extraordinary pastry chef and cake designer Erin Gardner, Food Network's sweet genius winner. Of course, you know her and love her. Her cakes, by the way, are all the same. Oh yes, why should you play the guessing game of sifting through dozens of recipes when all you need are just a few of Erin's and her hundreds of variations? Erin Gardner of Food Network fame and her Wild Orchid Baking Company is here to share inventive cake decorating lessons. Her first cookbook, entitled Erin Bakes Cake, is just about to release and she's here to share her magic. Congratulations, Erin. The book is beautiful. Oh, thank you so much and thank you for having me. Yes, of course. I know this is a labor of love. A couple of years in the making, right? It was. Yeah, yeah, no. It was two years in the making from the time that I, you know, came up with the idea, started pitching ideas to publishers and uh, writing and shooting the book. So it's, it's a long process that I'm really excited to at the end of now. Yes, I could imagine. So I love that it's a tutorial. I felt reading through the book because I, as you know, have a culinary degree, but not in pastry. Mm -hmm. And there are many professional chefs that are daunted by baking. There are home cooks who are daunted by cake making. Mm -hmm. And the tutorial fashion of how you teach and how we've watched you teach and blog over the years makes it just very real. That's my goal. Um, you know, when you think about why we make cakes, we make cakes to celebrate something, <laughs> usually. Um, and so when, when someone is going to take the time to make a cake, I want it to be fun. I want it to be, I want it to be something that they'll look forward to and that they won't feel like they're, they're you know, going through a painful process to get to a cake. It, hmm. it should be fun. Yes. Um, it should be enjoyable. And at the end, you should have, a terrific cake to have with your family and friends. Yeah, to to indulge in and savor. Exactly. Yes. Okay, so start us on a cake adventure. We want to bake a cake. (laughs) We don't have much time, 
but mm-hmm. I want it to be really beautiful and impressive. I sure. very much appreciate and respect the fact that you believe in shortcuts. And I have to say, this is something that I have evolved to love. Um, because, you know, when I, you know, I started out as a pastry chef, it was just me. And I thought, hey, you know, everything should be, always be only swissering, only this, only that. Um, and then I had two kids. <laughs> and, um, and I just, my eyes were opened to the world of, wow, shortcuts are great. Because... At the end of the day, the point is to be together and to celebrate. So, you know, I embrace box mixes. I embrace, um, you know, tweaking things and yes. kind of dressing them up a little, mm-hmm. uh, taking advantage of the things that are available to you at the store, you know, because the thing is, is it's not the way it used to be in terms of there's one box mix, it's kind of gross, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's weirded out by it. There's some great stuff out there. You can buy organic box mixes. You can buy super fancy high-end mail-order box mixes. Um, so really, you know, whatever you need, whatever your pleasure, you can find it out there and tailor it to what it is you're looking to do. Um, you know, I think when anyone is starting out or, or, or going with the goal in mind to make a cake, I think the number one thing to evaluate before you get started is how much time you actually have. And that's where the shortcuts come in. Like you'll buy store-bought cookies or um, Mm -hmm. you'll use ingredients to sort of um, remake or or evolve them into new and different things. No, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, if you, you, you also can kind of mix and match too. If you have a little bit of time, Maybe you make your cake batter from scratch. So you have a really great homemade cake. But then you dress up a store-bought frosting by adding in a little bit of jam or a puree or, um, you know, some caramel and melted chocolate. And then as far as adding an extra special element, like the elements of crunch that I talk about in the book, you, you know, if you don't have time to make your own toffee or to make your own peanut brittle, I don't think anyone is going to hold it against you if you pick up a bag of toffee chunks at the store. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, no, I hope no one holds it against me, I will say. Okay, let's make a cake, shall we? Um, Sure. My birthday is coming up. Okay. I would like a coconut birthday cake, please. Mm. Yes. And based on your (laughs) vanilla birthday cake batter, this is where your just a few recipes come in and they Mm -hmm. get altered or adjusted for right. a universal application. Right. So if you, you're, where you're looking to have coconut, um, you know, you can add a little bit of a coconut emulsion or a coconut extract to the vanilla cake batter. Uh, you can do, um, and also some cream of coconut. You can do the same thing with um, any of the frostings that I have in the book. That's one thing that I have definitely learned and grown to embrace every kind of frosting. So, um, you know, if you like something super sweet, I go with American buttercream. If you like something a little more refined and smooth, then I head for Swiss meringue. Uh, But that would really be your pick. Oh, yes. Erin bakes cake. And we're dishing with Erin Gardner more right after this.
Welcome back to the sweeter side of life. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with Food Network's Erin Gardner sharing her new book release, Erin Bakes Cake. Before I let you go, um, I'd like to talk freezing cake batter and cake storage. I was delighted to see that there are batters that you make and uh, and teach that are freezable. Absolutely, this is this was sort of a revelation when I was when I had my uh, my bakery and my wedding cake shop. It was we were doing tastings for people, obviously you know couples coming in to get married, and. We, I, I would have this array of cakes for each tasting, and we were breaking our backs on these tastings, making fresh cake batter over and over and over and over. Uh, and I didn't want to freeze cake because I just don't like what it does to the cake. I think the freezing and thawing process separates the, the moisture, it draws the water out, and I, I just feel like you can tell when you've had a frozen cake. Hmm. And so I thought, hey, you know what? Let's see what happens when we freeze batter. <laughs> So it was sort of an experimentation process, and it led to this great point where we had a whole slew of batters that froze beautifully. Uh, we froze them in little individual portions, so right before tasting, I could pop them out of the freezer, saw them, bake them up in the oven, uh, and we started to do that, too, when we had excess cake batter. I mean, you know, a, a recipe would make a batch bigger than we needed for what we needed to bake. Hmm. It was a really great way to not waste anything sure. and, um, and just stay ahead of the game. Really smart. So do you freeze the batter in the preferred baking pan or do you freeze the batter in a resealable plastic bag, thaw, and then prep for the cake? It's bag or container, whatever okay. works for you. Yep. And freeze it in that and then you pull it the night before, depending on like, you know the quantity of batter that you're sawing, pull it into the fridge, let it thaw in the fridge. And then I usually just give it a quick stir before I pour it into a pre- prepared pan. And then um, bake it off and Very enjoy. cool. Very cool. All of the cakes are beautiful. I can't wait for fall to make a sweater weather cake. Oh, yeah. That's one of my faves. Oh, yeah, that's I mean, just How fabulous. do you have all the cake covered in cookies, right? Right. Hello. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all in for sure. Congratulations yeah. to you. Uh, Thank you so much. This book is for all bakers. Uh, crafters, DIY enthusiasts, uh, cake show groupies, even a first-time baker who wants to truly impress, um, you are teaching the skills, and I commend you. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled for your success, um, and I wish you um, continued creative and gorgeous cakes, of course. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate yes. it. It's, it's been great talking with you. It was my pleasure to have you. Seriously, you can bake. With Erin Gardner's help and her new book release entitled Erin Bakes Cake. Make, bake, decorate your own cake adventure. It is an approachable tutorial of a cookbook and one um, that will no doubt make the upcoming holiday season and all throughout the year so much sweeter. Uh, The book is available everywhere, of course, and you can follow Erin's daily diaries of baking at Erin Bakes, E-R-I-N-B-A-K-E-S dot com. Erin, a pleasure. Thank you again. Thank you so much. As the delicious conversation continues... We'll sip, we'll savor, we'll bake. It's a party every Sunday in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen, we'll be right back.
Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, feeding your soul every Sunday. She's back, giving you wonderfully alternative ways to conventional medicine. Sarah Hanna Silverstein, the master herbalist and classic homeopath, was here last, sharing, uh, of course, the herbal first aid kit. And we are rounding out our third part in this three-part series, all about women's wellness. Sarah Hanna Silverstein is a lecturer and consultant to a variety of doctors and private patients as well. She writes for national magazines to better your health and make wellness a priority. She has a very fascinating book on moods set to release in the spring of 2018. We're going to talk about herbal supplements and how you can, as women, better your wellness every day. And I am very delighted to have you back, Sarah Hanna. Thank you. Hi, Jamie. It's so great to speak with you again. <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm really glad to have you. I always feel enlightened. I will tell you, I'm using my, uh, my herbal first aid kit, Sarah Hanna, and I have green clay on hand for my next uh, kitchen burn because you know it, it, it's eminent. It's coming. Yes, absolutely. Right. And it's there for you and anybody that's around you. Yes, for sure. Okay, let's talk about women's health. Women's health, in your opinion, and it should be all of ours, is a, a daily doing, right? To keep our so wellness uh, at, at, at peak every day. You know, I just spoke for a women's group last night, and they were 30s to 40s. And I was talking just about prevention. And you know, one of my, uh, what's very important to me is that women don't have to spend a lot of money. But it's really important, Jamie, to take a look at what your mother had as she aged, your grandmother had as she aged. And if you have diabetes in the family, diabetes doesn't just take five minutes to develop. Mm -hmm. So when you're younger, you need to have that in your foresight that I need to prevent diabetes. I need to prevent cardiovascular. So when I work with my clients, it's not, well, we discuss their aches and pains of the moment, but it's really like, what can we do to prevent having that kind of arthritis? And that's really what I think is the most important thing. And you don't need to spend a fortune on it. There's really simple little things you can do throughout your life to try to stave off those kind of problems. Okay. So let's be proactive Let's uh, really look to what we can do today to better our women's wellness for tomorrow and the years to come. Uh, I love that you're always food focused, Sarah Hanna. So (laughs) there's a a mix of things, right? You put in a soup. So as Aristotle's famous quote is, let food be thy medicine and thy medicine food. Now, when you work with an herbalist, we do make food suggestions and herbal suggestions, but a food that kind of straddles both fences is medicinal mushrooms. They are a food that are delicious and they are medicinal. So that's an easy thing to incorporate in your life to help keep you healthy. Okay. So medicinal mushrooms uh, rank uh, number one on your list. Love them, love them. And we're going to discuss some that you can make a soup out of and some that I would like you to take in a more conventional, medicinal way, tincture or in capsule form. So shiitake mushrooms and maitake mushrooms are readily available. Hmm. They taste delicious. And delicious, yes. You can put them in any soups. You can make a vegetable soup. You can make a chicken soup. You can make a meat broth. Throw some of those medicinal mushrooms in, and right away you're starting to heal your system. Sarah Hanna Silverstein is a Brooklyn-based, international board-certified lactation consultant, classic homeopath, 
master herbalist, a businesswoman, a wife, a mother of seven children. Yes, you wonder how she does it. Uh, We'll just credit herbs. And she is all about women's wellness. Uh, She has, of course, created this herbal first aid kit for us, shared um, summer remedies, and given us a really wonderful approach on integrating alternative medicine and herbs specifically with conventional medicine. You can learn more about her wonderful approach and her insight at sarahana.com. It's S-A-R-A-C-H-A-N-A.com. And of course, you can find her on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and otherwise, Sarah Hanna Silverstein. And be sure to look out for and watch for her new book coming out spring 2018 on moods, but you'll be back before then, Sarah Hanna. I have to go and run and make um, mushroom soup, and I'll let you know how I feel after. Excellent. I look forward to hearing from you. (laughs) And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation and inspiration. I do hope that I inspired you to cook, that you learned something new, and that you'll tune in every Sunday and allow me to feed your soul. I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration. Next time you find yourself reaching for a snack, I think you should give this recipe a try because it's made with only three simple ingredients and you know I love those three ingredient recipes, but you can spice it up with your favorite flavor combination. The question is, uh, are you a hot chick? Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is a hot snack. You need a can of chickpeas, a tablespoon of olive oil, and a dash of salt and seasoning. Because if you haven't made those crispy chickpeas at home yet, they are a great protein boost. They're vegetarian and vegan, in fact, uh, gluten-free, and they're perfect with a cocktail. You drain and thoroughly rinse a can of chickpeas, and then you dry them really well with paper towels. And you drizzle them with olive oil, season them with salt and pepper. I like smoked paprika, maybe a pinch of cayenne. And at 375 degrees on a baking sheet, they take about a half an hour. And now that the weather's cooling, you can fire up your oven. Be sure to shake that baking pan every 10 minutes or so. And I will tell you, they are an absolutely addictive snack. And I think that you'll feel good about eating them as I do. So I will, of course, post the recipe for my toasted chickpea snack on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I'll meet you here next Sunday for lots more delicious conversation in your radio. You'll find podcasts of shows you might have missed, as I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. And I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. <music>